It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. That's right. He makes the magic happen for The Athletic, senior NBA writer, and our good friend Sam Amick. What's up, Sam? How are you? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. Hang in there. Hey, we've got a lot to get into uh, with you today. Uh, Some of your writing, uh, very timely with you joining the show today. But want to get your thoughts off the bat on the 11-game win streak for the Jazz and having it come to an end uh, abruptly against the Nuggets. So, what are you going to, you know, what are you taking from that hot streak from the Utah Jazz? They look good. I mean, they, you know, we talked every week about the depth and the new layers that they've kind of added with, you know, Mike Conley playing out of his mind and Clarkson taking another step off the bench. And I think I've been a little guilty of uh, of not giving enough love to Derek Favors as another important piece, you know, and, and even, you know, Royce O'Neal. And they just, they have a chemistry that partly comes with the continuity, you know, but also just it's not the same old group, even if a lot of the characters are the same. You know, I mean, Mike's uh, comfort level is, is a major, major factor. And then obviously Donovan and Rudy doing their thing. You know, the, uh, the Denver game, it's crazy that you can win 11 in a row, which is, you know, kind of you would imagine to have that kind of a stretch be above reproach, if you will, and then have a game like, you know, against a team in the Nuggets that is, kind of perceived as the same, you know, tier or similar to you in the West and, and then have questions still kind of lingering. They're like, all right, they're playing well, but what did that Nuggets game mean? You know, we don't know. And, and then they turn around and uh, the Detroit game obviously touched around a little bit at the end and gave up that lead, but, but you know, they hung on, but they looked really good. I think, that, you know, my conversation with Rudy talking about the prospect of actually pushing for a title, I, I can see where some of that, that uh, vision is for him. Sam, in your mind, are there buts? I mean, are there things that you just have to be convinced of yet to believe that this is a true contender? Well, I mean, some of it is like the the uh, the typical ebbs and flows of a season and, and trying to, to kind of recalibrate on what each team's identity is, if that makes sense, and, and specifically like, okay, we have a good sample size right now. It's almost a third of the way through the year, but – yeah, to your question, Gordon, the big bug would be, you know, do I think that they're going to shoot at this kind of a clip from three-point range all year long? Probably not. You know, so I guess that would be a bug. Um, do I think they're going to, you know, avoid, uh, I, and, and correct me if I'm forgetting certain things, but, you know, avoid for the most part any real significant health problems? Uh, you know, that's something that, that is always going to nip most teams in the bud. So, um but I do think it's not just that team from last year playing better. Um, it is a team that has made additions and a team that has developed in the kind of way that I think is pretty impactful. All right, Sam, you mentioned your interview with Rudy, and uh, I went through it. I, I, I thought you did a terrific job, and, and uh, it was a really, really great piece up at uh, theathletic.com. would encourage uh, everybody to check it out. But you talked a lot about his, or you asked him a lot about his relationship with Donovan Mitchell. And, of course, we remember back to the summer when you had some, uh, some reporting on that relationship. So I guess my question is, you know, from, uh, from that point to this point, uh, talk about your take on the evolution of their relationship. 
Uh, it's impressive to me. Um, first of all, as a quick aside, uh, and I'm uh, on a lighthearted front, I guess, you know, I, I owe you guys a few extra minutes this week since last week as I abruptly jumped off the show. <laughs> that was actually the, uh, that was the, the Ruby interview, and I didn't handle that as, as uh, you know, elegantly as I should have, so apologies for that. Um, oh, all good. Well, well Austin, we, Austin warned us that that might happen, so we we forgave him. Yeah, it. no, I just you know I I just admittedly I felt bad because it was so abrupt. But you know we talked last Thursday, um, you know in the afternoon when I was on the air with you guys, and I, I didn't know when he was going to call. And I like Rudy, and, and my favorite part of that conversation was, um, and this kind of goes for all the jazz, they're just not really afraid to talk about their own stuff, um, and they have a kind of a maturity within their group that honestly is, is really appreciated um, from my perspective in terms of dealing with them in the media, because for Rudy to be, you know, reasoned enough to sit there and talk through some of that stuff, even though, you know, I, I don't think he was real thrilled with us at the time for putting the spotlight on his relationship with Donovan, which I thought stand up of him. And, and in terms of how I think they got through it and to his credit, he didn't want to sit there and, and talk out of school too much and share every detail, but they obviously had a series of really honest phone conversations in the moment, you know, back in the, the kind of um, March and April time heading into the bubble where, well, I guess it would be April and May, where, uh, you know, they got real honest with one another. And I think, to be honest, the media stuff might have expedited those conversations a little bit because Rudy made it sound like, you know, he felt like the, the noise was uh, – at such a decibel level that he wanted to address some of the stuff with Donovan and, and, and they kind of got on the same page again. And I saw some of that in the bubble where, you know, I'm a sucker for the human component of covering the game. And, and I would watch the interactions with Donovan really and wonder where they were at. And you could tell throughout the course of that experience that the whole group had really found a way to get through it together. And, and even, you know, the night they lost to Denver in the first round, uh, it really struck me that it didn't look like a, a bunch of guys that, that kind of fragmented off in different directions. They spent time together um, back in the bubble after the game, you know, and, and kind of commiserated and through, they kind of went through that pain together instead of uh, jumping into, you know, their own room and doing their own thing. So Rudy just, you know, he made it. One comment that is so simple but so true that stuck with me was that he said, winning makes me happy. And he looked at the jazz situation and assessed it from a basketball standpoint and, and then thought about how special it would be to potentially deliver, a, you know, the franchise's first championship uh, in that market and just kind of said, you know, I'm all in. And that, that was a big reason why you know, he signed that exception. Sam, the, let me ask it this way, because this could be going either direction. Do you think the fact that they both signed around $200 million contracts uh, is that an indication that, yes, they were feeling good about each other? And I guess the second part of that, does it bode well for the future that they that they have they are more comfortable now? I mean, I, I, some of the problems with Rudy last year, we all sensed it, that he wanted the ball more. He wanted to prove his worth. Well, now all that's been settled. And so it seems like it would be easier for the two of them to, to settle in and get along and, and, and do so at a high level. They both want to win. That's clear as day. But uh, th did that does that help? Oh, I think for sure. Um, it's funny, Gordon, because on our website today, and I haven't read I, all of this story yet. I read a, a fair amount. 
David Aldridge had a pretty interesting piece asking the question of of why the NBA continues to not value defensive players. And he, he talked about Bill Russell and the history of his impact and how in today's game, you know, he had a line that said, you know, um, if he was in this era, he, he might have gotten the Clint Capella, you know, five-year, $90 million contract or something like that. And everybody pushed back on the article and said, well, what about Rudy Gobert? Because he is now the outlier. He is the guy who got paid largely for being a defensive presence. And I do think, to your question, that that relieves pressure because the, the harsh reality of the league is that if you're a player like Rudy and you're looking around going, man, I'm a two-time defensive player of the year, I know how important I am and that this team can't have you know, the elite defense it has without me but I, you know, but unless I average 17, 18, 19, 20 a game, I'm not going to get paid like the kind of elite talent that I believe I am. And now he has been paid that. You know what I mean? And to his credit, I, I, the negotiations, you know, during the process, I checked in on it, and there were times when, when uh, the Jazz weren't entirely sure that something was going to get done, that it was a bit of a 50-50 prospect. But Rudy, as he's talked about publicly, decided to leave some money on the table. That was not a max contract. I know it's a ton of money. I know that you know Shaquille O'Neal has been critical of all the money Rudy got. But, but like I wrote in the interview, it, it's I know it's crazy for the fans to process this, but you know times have changed. The NBA is making so much money that the thirty-five million dollar player, you know, in today's game is legitimately like the thirteen million dollar player back in, uh, in 2004, 2005, when Shaq was at his peak financially. And so um, I think sometimes the numbers skew, you know, the, the reality of, of how these players and their money fit into their team system. You know, Rudy's, uh, it sounds crazy, but he's only taken up about 30-plus percent, you know, of the uh, the cap for the Jazz. And, and I think that contract was, was a wise move by them and one that, they, to your question, I do think relieves pressure because, um, I think a lot of that angst on Rudy's part in terms of the offensive end was very likely tied to his own aspirations uh, contract-wise. Sam Amick is with us here on uh, 97.5 and, and 1280 The Zone. And, and sticking with the, the Rudy interview here for a second, Sam, you know, I have covered the NBA long enough to have several examples of, uh, you know, the, the outward message is uh, this team is all best friends and the chemistry is just amazing and they, you know, they celebrate holidays together and all that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, oftentimes, right. or at least sometimes, that, that isn't exactly the case. Um, you asked Rudy about, uh, obviously, the chemistry with the team. You mentioned uh, a comment that Joe Ingles had made about the, about the chemistry of the group. So my, I guess my question to you is, is, do you buy it in this particular circumstance, and how much does chemistry in the locker room actually matter? Um, I mean, it's, I don't know the answer to that because, you know, it's, it's always that question of does winning breed chemistry or chemistry breed winning. Um, you know, if, if times are tough and they go on a 10-game losing streak, you know, are you going to see some cracks? Yeah, of course. You know, and and, and so maybe that's when the, the collective character gets revealed a little bit. I mean, do I buy it? I do. Um, I think I think part of what happened in March and April that I think I have a little bit more understanding of now than I did then um, is that, you know, we got to remember, Rudy, Rudy was under the, the spotlight because of being the first player publicly known to contract COVID. Then, as he has talked about since, 
it sounds like he went into a bit of a hole when it comes to uh, the, the personal side of things. He focused on his own family. He focused on his situation. But, you know, I, I forget if this was in the story, but I know at the time some people close to the team were trying to figure out what to make of the fact that he there were some, uh, some like, team Zoom calls that he wouldn't take part in, didn't jump on it. And to us, that was a real sign that he was very distant. And to some people with the team, they didn't agree. It was like, listen, you guys don't understand how intense this has been, and we're giving people their space, and it really needed his space. And eventually, I think, when he saw a little bit like how big that snowball had grown, if that makes sense, in terms of the, the kind of the noise around the team, that's when he eventually got to work trying to fix some of it. And, you know, within all of that, there were people like Joe Ingles who sat there saying, you know, to everybody who would ask, like, just calm down and let it play itself out. And he, you know, and he quoted in that piece in March or in April saying that he thought that ultimately they would be fine. Um, so, yeah, I do buy it. And I think when you've got, I mean, personality-wise, guys like, you know, I, I do enjoy Rudy. Uh, and then on top of that, you got Donovan, you got Joe, you got Mike Conley. These are legitimately some of the, in terms of reputation, these are some of the best guys in the NBA. I mean, those those five guys alone might be in the top 30, you know. Um, and I think that that's the kind of thing that, along with somebody like Quinn Snyder, who has that same fabric and, and you know, the guys in the front office too, I think that has played a big part here. Man, Sam, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I remember writing a column after that happened with Rudy and the whole league shut down that people were blaming Rudy Gobert for shutting down the league. I mean, it, it was intense. And there was this feeling within the team that Rudy had been irresponsible. And, it, I mean, can you imagine what that would feel like? And, and right. it, The problem is that COVID wasn't a Rudy deal. It was a worldwide deal. I mean, but, but he, took, he took an awful lot of a, uh, the brunt of it, I think, from a, from a media and from a perception standpoint, and he, and he shouldn't have. 100%, but, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I look back, and you know, I wrote a column the day before he tested positive that, that I, I've looked back at a couple times, and it's honestly kind of surreal to read it because it was like, you know, the headline was something like, you know, um, on, on the NBA and why they need to avoid their patient zero. And it, it had numbers in there of, like, where the country was at in terms of cases and deaths. And I think the day before, uh, and I'm pretty sure I have this accurate, there, there had been 32 American deaths uh, nationwide. Uh, and so at that time, the numbers were so relatively small that it, it seemed like you could maybe keep it out of the NBA. And then when really got it, was, I think that's where the blame came his way. That you know, I would, it found its way in through Rudy Gobert, and now we know that that I mean, that's absurd. You know, that type of thinking. Um, but it was it. I mean, even the you know the, the thing with the press conference the day before when he touched on the microphones. I, I had some people in the comment section of our story, the interview, asking me why I didn't ask him about that, and I'm sitting there going, "Good Lord, he's addressed it about a dozen times." Um, not to mention the one part that, that I still think it glossed over in that situation was that, you know, listen, the optics are terrible. The choice was terrible. But the intent to me matters, and, and you guys know this, like that day, that was his way of sending a message to local reporters that even though the NBA is basically telling me that I should be afraid of you and that you need to stay away from me, 
you know, we're all in this together and, and I'm not afraid. And, and it was a poor choice, but, you know, the spirit of it matters to me, but the optics were really, really bad. And, and he took a beating for that. So um, I think, again, a lot of that is why that disconnect between him and everybody at that point that happened was kind of the, the root of why people started wondering if they could keep this whole thing together. Switching gears a little bit, Sam, because I do want to ask you about uh, tonight's opponent for the Jazz. That's the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, I, I've got to admit, they're one of uh, my favorite teams in the league to watch. Sneaky fun to watch, as, uh, as I say. But what do you think about them and, uh, and what they're trying to build there in Atlanta? Yeah, I like them a lot. Um, you know, yesterday's game was interesting. They played Dallas, and you had the, um, you know, the, the Trey Young versus Luka Doncic matchup. You know, that obviously goes back to the draft where the Hawks, you know, kind of had a, a shot of Luka, and they pass him up and do the trade and uh, and, and bring, forgetting uh, who else. Oh, Cam Reddish would have been the other, you know, the pick that became Cam Reddish in that deal. So, like, Trey has been a player who, has not only been interesting kind of on his own in a vacuum, but a guy where it's like, you know, we're, we're judging him in relation to Luca, in relation to some of these other young stars, but now he's got some help. And they've got, you know, a, a really, really underrated, fantastic veteran in Danilo Gallinari. And John Collins is emerging, and uh, Rajon Rondo is bringing in some veteran help, and, and other guys too. You know, they lose Bogdan, Bogdanovich for most of the year, which is a, a tough injury, but... They look good lately. They dropped the game yesterday, um, but they they have a good thing going. They're offensively fantastic on um, most nights. You know, Trey's a little hot and cold, but but he's had a, a really good run here about the last eight nine days. And and I'm with you. They are they're a lead pass, you know, kind of favorite of mine as well. Um, and you know, we wrote something about them earlier in this year, where you know we talk a lot about the Jazz dynamics. You know, the the Hawks dynamics have been tricky at times as well and just basketball stuff but like you know john collins didn't get an extension done with the hawks during the brief off season and so you know sees himself as a max player and wants max money and you know and now he's going to be a restricted free agent going into this coming off season and within all that you know the reporting we had was that you know he was pretty critical of trey young in a, in a film session about a month ago, and, and they've been trying to work out their issues where, you know, you, these themes are there for every team, that combination of, yeah, we all want to win, but we all want to get paid, and, you know, are we going to be selfish or are we going to sacrifice? And so Atlanta's been trying to, to kind of work through all of that, but they're dangerous. I mean, they, they're one of those teams that, that on any given night can, can beat anybody in the league. Sam, the Jazz are atop the West, uh, percentage points ahead of the Clippers. What is the relationship between them being 16 and five right now and success in the postseason? This relates back to what we were talking about before, but is there a relationship? How much of a relationship is there there? And does that mean that they really, uh, I guess what I'm asking is what's the difference between the regular season and the postseason? It's hard to tell. I mean, it sounds weird to say about a, a team you know, they blew a 3-1 lead in the first round, but, but by and large, I liked how they played in the first round against Denver, and then you then you see what Denver went on to accomplish, and you kind of tip your cap. And so, you know, I, I, that's a, a, you know, on paper, that's a playoff failure that you would say now kind of 
stigmatizes them as one of those teams that can't get it done in the postseason. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, you know, the defense wins championships moniker, you know, holds up in terms of their identity. And then it just becomes, you know, when you are facing uh, defensive, you know, or playoff defenses, I guess, where everything is, is up a notch in the postseason like it is, you know, can you still hit your shots? Can the, the Conleys and the Clarksons and the guys like that do their thing? You know, we saw how dominant Donovan could be. Um, that's a very long-winded way of saying I really don't know. And, you know, I can't wait to see because right now I, I for sure I kind of got those guys pegged as a, a top-four team. He is Sam Amick with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, making his weekly appearance. Sam, thank you so much. Really enjoyed uh, your interview and your piece on Rudy Gobert and would encourage all of our listeners to give it a read. But uh, thought it was great. Thanks for coming on. You got it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Sam.